from Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, I'm your host Chris Pace, joined once again by my colleagues Max Vetter. Hello. Kev Breen. Hello. And finally, Paul Bentham. Hello. In these podcasts, we try to look at cybersecurity from a human point of view, social engineering, hacker motivations, industry trends, and more. And these podcasts essentially come in two flavors, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. And this episode is another one of those. And we're going to start off by the story that has been dominating the headlines, mainly because it's a security vendor. People always like it when security vendors take a little stumble. Um, and it's remote code execution in uh, in this F5 uh, appliance. What's going on, Kev? Why, and also, why is there so much noise about it? Everyone is shouting and stamping about this. Yeah, so this one, so F5, big IP, so this is another one of those gateway devices, so this is designed to sit on the edge of your network, although it's not designed to be publicly facing, which some of them, like, are. So this one is, um, it's a combination of a couple of different vulnerabilities that ends up, like, giving them a perfect storm, um, and if you exploit this, you get full code execution on this gateway device, and this has... Uh, your SSL certificates, your TLS, your private keys. Like, if you get access to this, you've got access to a lot of sensitive data. Uh, and it's really, really trivial. Uh, ex- what, so why is it, why so trivial? Like, they obviously left something obvious. The why, we can get to in a second, but the it is really trivial. So it's a directory traversal attack, which is, it's a really old school attack. Like, this is something that should be, like, really easy to spot and fix. Um, and that itself leads to auth bypass. And then once you've got auth bypass, you can run any command as if you're on there. And they've got commands in there that allow you to read, write files, like run commands. Like it's pretty bad. But um, when we started looking at this, so we d- we don't have F5, but obviously we want to want to write the lab on it. So started doing the research, and I ran just a out of the box like open source like static code analyzer and got five and a half thousand hits. Uh, now, a lot of those are going to be <laughs> false positives, but like, there's a lot of bad coding practice in there just all the way through this thing. Yeah, they're quite old as well, aren't they, Kev? I mean, they were developed quite, like, they've been around for quite some time, and people use them. I mean, in previous uh, guises, I've uh, had developers work for me that have been using the Big Five um big ip fi big ip products and they're so complicated to configure they just they're hard oh, products to use they're monolithic beasts and like just going through the code review um while we were trying to so they when this released there was no poc uh, they just released mitigations so it was then it was the race to go from mitigation to exploitation uh which took us like five or six hours and attackers like they were about the same pace this is actively being exploited in the wild which is why it's getting picked up again do you know how many are deployed out there how many because because they are relied upon to be that kind of gateway device before people get into your into your web apps and stuff so we did a i did a quick showdown scan uh looking for those that have been exposed to the internet so there's going to be a lot more than this but these are the ones that have like accidentally or like deliberately misconfigured uh, there's about seven and a half thousand eight thousand of them uh, currently exposed to the internet and if you think about the companies that are using this like this isn't small orgs this They're is not cheap are they 
they're not cheap. This is large organisations running these. Anyone want to volunteer what is um, particularly unusual about this CVE? Is this a question you know the answer to? I do. You... It's a loaded uh, question. No. I'm hoping someone else might know it. Is it a, is it a number? It's rare. It, yeah, it's rare and it involves a number associated with it. Is it 2021234? No, no, It's no. 2025902. It's a perfect no. 10 for CVSS as well. There we are. It's a perfect 10 oh, okay, for CVSS. There we go. <laughs> which is, which is uh, like, it happens, but it is pretty rare. Um, and I think also this week then there was a 10 out of 10. There was a, um, a 10 for uh, a Palo Alto um, bug as well, right? Which is kind yeah. of a similar thing. And we've seen um, Citrix. Um, we know Citrix have had some issues in the recent past, but uh, they've just released another round of advisories, and there's some critical stuff in there as well. Uh, we're seeing a lot of these like big gateway appliances, these big security appliances, falling foul to like arguably some fairly simple exploits that like code review should pick these things up. And uh, the other thing that's uh, uh, weird, it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm searching for conspiracies, um, but U.S. Cyber Command came out and said the Palo Alto um, the Palo Alto villain is really bad, and it's probably going to be targeted by nation state actors. Okay? They know something, uh, especially you know. Please patch immediately, especially if you're using SAML. That was that was what they came out and said, <laughs> which is sort of loaded because they didn't then they didn't say anything about the F5 one. So they so they've come out and said. We think it's we think that, that nation state hacking groups are likely to exploit this thing, which is code for nation state groups are already exploiting this thing, <laughs> but we can't say who they are. Um, and it's obviously something to do with SAML, the way that it's being exploited. Um, and then they tweeted to say, you know, foreign APTs will likely attempt to exploit soon. Is, is this another example of them being really super slow, though? Or was that an actual one that... Because didn't we have a few examples where there was like a vulnerability in March and they were tweeting about it in June? No, th this, this is... This, um, is this week, is it? Yeah, yeah. so this, this Palo Alto um, vulnerability, um, which is uh, CVE 2020-2021. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's very... Obviously, that's very recent. Um, and this one also has a 10 out of 10 uh, CVSS. And I, my understanding is that the, the way that it works is pretty similar to the to the f5 to the f5 vulnerability um but it's just odd that that's the one that cyber command have decided they're going to come out and and recommend that people uh patch rather than uh rather than f5 i just didn't they, know if there was any rationale behind that they did push out an advisory it might not have been as strong but they definitely did uh, ncsc did the same uh, they pushed out an advisory saying patch uh, the f5 stuff i suppose the context here is that they're saying is the, they are using the, the words yeah. you know nation state actors are likely to you that's, know, um, exploit this vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, any guesses for? Um, so this was uh, the F five was actively exploited in the wild within, like over the weekend, over the Fourth of July weekend. Uh, any guesses on what was first delivered uh, oh, or first up. observed? Shut up! Uh, in <laughs> Come on, you've got to you've got to be joking me. I cannot. So hang on, hang on. We've just had a conversation. All the big money is in crypto miner. <laughs> Cryptocurrency mining, honestly, Crypto and, mining. and the thing is that the the U.S. Cyber Command, you know, on this Palo Alto one, they've taken the time <laughs> to craft this statement <laughs> to let everyone know that it's going to be exploited by highly sophisticated nation-state actors. Meanwhile, over in F5 land, cryptocurrency <laughs> miners, everyone, welcome to the most sophisticated threat that 2020 has to offer: your computing power being used to generate highly volatile digital <laughs> currency <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of nice because like if it's 
Uh, it's really obvious to spot, like one of your nodes is going to start spiking CPU. So it gives you a nice detection. Like it doesn't do like significant amounts of damage. You haven't lost like the world, like an APT would come in. So they're doing us a favor. They're forcing companies to patch quicker than they might otherwise. And it gives those criminals more money, which as we all know <laughs> is great because then they do more cyber badness and then it's great for the industry, right? Is that a theme of encouraging all illegal activities? It also does depend how much the, the value of uh, that particular currency is on that particular day. Uh, I think judging by judging by uh, recent market performance, they may not be they may not be making all that much. All right, so basically, if you have got F five or Palo Alto, like it's pretty bad. You should probably patch it. Is that what we learned? Patch it. Patch it. If you can't, <laughs> we need if to get can't... a jingle made for that. <laughs> uh, if you can't patch, at least apply the mitigations. Although the mitigations were bypassed within forty eight hours as well. But they really don't mitigations. Bother, so don't bother so don't doing do that. that then. <laughs> Kev's like, yeah, waste a load of your time doing mitigations that have already been bypassed. So one of the really annoying things, and like we're getting a little bit off topic, but the, so when I was starting to look at, okay, so F5, this is it compromised. Like, how would I detect it? Let's look at the logs. No, no, they have barely minimal logging um, <laughs> on this thing. Like, it's a 20 meg file. Like, as soon as that 20 meg's done, that's it. No more logs. It just circles over. So uh, it's so there's just so many little things from a security appliance or from something that should be secure that just fails we didn't really talk about the citrix one like is that are we just given is it like citrix is just as bad as webex and we just like accept that it's basically malware and we don't <laughs> we don't talk about it anymore? oh webex is terrible yeah. i mean it's unrelated it's unrelated but it's worth a rant webex is the worst <laughs> bit of video conferencing <laughs> software that has ever existed isn't it it's terrible not only is there always a hideous delay every time you use the the voip um feature mm -hmm. i feel like it wants to install its app every single malware. time i use it yeah no. so it is really, malware webex really is malware annoying. i think it probably has more cbe's than lines of code <laughs> i'm just check. i'm just checking but i'm i'm pretty sure there's a very recent one uh june 17th uh oh, there we go yeah, RC right. rce and webex <laughs> wow people yeah. use it still Stop but nobody nobody it. nobody's pitching like there's no Sorry, I swore. Oh, Kevin. Oh, Kev. Your mum's listening. You, said, you just said bitching. I've left worse in than that, my friend. <laughs> but Twitter isn't a buzz. Like, uh, There's no Zoom level equivalent of, oh, my God, burn down WebEx's headquarters. So no people accept it. it. People accept it. It's malware. They know. <laughs> if you install WebEx, you know that you're just going to get owned. It's just that's part of the deal. You're in a slightly aged company. <laughs> <laughs> well, or you're having to work with an aged company, which is the reason why I find myself installing the sodding thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we don't um, usually talk too much about um, you know industry trends and stuff like that. We tend to we tend to focus on uh, more threaty things. Um, but something caught my eye this week. It was a bit of research out of um, out of IBM, uh, which basically said that the the statistics from their report seem to say that the more money that you spend on security solutions, the less effective your security <laughs> uh, is, basically. Um, Apart which from I our one. Yes, but apart, well, I mean, I was I was gonna get to that, but in a in a much much oh, more subtle way than <laughs> I just did. Did I grow no, no. product for <laughs> Did you? Were you Oops. just about to? Were you just about to? Okay, a word from our sponsors. Continually, just the whole <laughs> thing. Uh, but basically, they've done they've done this global survey, um, and it and uh, with like 
thousands and thousands of respondents. So they talked to lots of professionals in the industry. Uh, and it says that while organizations are improving in uh, uh, planning, detection and, and response, actually organizations' ability to contain an active threat has declined by uh, 13%. And on average, and this really did open my eyes, on average, enterprises deploy 45, 45 cybersecurity-related wow. tools on their network. And the idea is that the, the, the suggestion being made is that the widespread use of too many tools could actually be contributing to an inability um, not just to detect something, but also to be able to effectively uh, defend as well. And this is where the, the stats really start to tell. Enterprises that deploy over 50 tools rank themselves 8% lower in their ability to detect <laughs> threats and 7% lower in their defensive capabilities. Now, I actually think there's something else in that. Um, but I just think it's interesting that that there is that there does seem to be this correlation between the amount of stuff that gets thrown into security and then how effective, um, you know, security organizations actually actually are and why that might be. I mean, most security teams, they're like they're loss makers in a company anyway. They they cost you lots of money in terms of like the manpower, in terms of training, in terms of appliances and software and and stuff like that anyway so there's always that there's always been that kind of connotation with it what i find interesting about this is last time i brought up a document in the podcast i got absolutely <laughs> mercilessly ripped for bringing it up and yes. here is chris bringing up a document oh look it's interesting that the more tech you buy the less secure you feel your your supposed report told us absolutely nothing about it's anything. Data breach investigations report. It was brilliant. <laughs> yes, that told us that breaches were caused by things being by breached. That's incredibly useful. Yeah, I, you know this. This is CISO to a paranoid, isn't it? The more paranoid you are, the more tools you buy, the more locks you put on your door, and you spend more money. And then your poor the defenders are getting overwhelmed by the number of like alerts they're getting the amount of like different views that you're getting from those different tools and of course how do you know what the truth is like there's so much going on i just false positive fatigue is a real thing like i've been in some of these companies where you've got like lots of different things reporting in and as an analyst as a junior analyst when i first started out trying to make sense of like all of this stuff coming in trying to correlate across like even just five or six different tools is incredibly hard to do never mind like 45 they must spend a fortune on their engineers, like keeping, maintaining, and patching all these tools. Can you imagine having fifty-five of these appliances? You're gonna to have to keep up to date, patch, mm, paint. Seems them like licenses. if they got Citrix F5 or Palo Alto, they probably <laughs> haven't got to them yet, have they? But I, my, I, I was going to echo what you were just saying there about. So you were talking about the paranoid CISO. I think that that is why the more tools bought. They are basically have given themselves a higher bar. So they've basically said, we've bought more stuff and invested more energy and invested more money. So therefore, we should be better. But we fundamentally don't tell. We, we've given ourselves a higher bar, but we don't think we're doing as well as we could be. So therefore, we spend more money. So it's actually kind of a cyclical, it's a vicious circle of continuing to spend in order to try to make security uh, better. What I also thought was interesting coming out of this report from IBM is that they, they said, you know, 74% um, uh, of the people who responded said their planning posture uh, basically 
they didn't feel was up to scratch. They weren't really um, not either defined plans or ad hoc plans, or there was inconsistency in how they were supposed to um, respond. Um, only a third that had adopted a response plan had created a playbook for common attack types. Now, I think that this obviously this is probably a thing they're trying to sell but i think this is the next big thing i think the next big thing is not just having a, an incident response plan that you follow the next thing then is having um defined pathways that are to respond to a particular incident type um and it would seem obvious to me that if you're spending money on 45 security tools that's a thing that you could do as an organization probably and if you don't want to pay any money for it uh, incidentresponse.com free playbooks yeah exactly you can go and find the you can go and find the documentation um just interesting that organizations that are spent i mean and if you worked it out you could probably work out what that equates to in terms of budget you know those 45 cybersecurity tools to invest some money money in you know creating a plan that everyone is familiar with and understands um you know could be uh, you know could reap a significantly bigger reward than pl plowing more money into tech i don't also like to see on on that survey whether they because obviously it's causation or correlation right is maybe they're bigger organizations so they have yeah. more uh diverse security and uh, it's harder to secure it so that's why they're more at risk rather than actually the more tools is completely linked to them, them uh, being more vulnerable it's probably because they're using webex <laughs> <laughs> There are some other interesting little nuggets in here that would be interesting to get your, your guys' views on. 39% um, of enterprise companies who had an incident response plan applied have experienced a severely disruptive attack in the last two years. 62% uh, who didn't have a plan. So basically, you're, you know, the, the more prepared you... The suggestion is the more prepared you are, the less likely to be disruptive an attack is. I think that's what it's getting at. That seems to make sense, doesn't it? Because obviously it won't just be the incident response plan. You'll have other, if you're in that, doing that as well, you'll probably have better security all around. So you're, you're even more like, less likely to, for an incident to hit you because mm. you've got security across the board. That's better. And if you've got playbooks in place and you've got plans in place, you've probably tested them or you've hopefully tested them, which means that when an incident kicks in, because like you're always going to get an incident, you're going to be, uh, more used to how you should deal with it and you're going to know your processes a bit better even just writing that document gets somebody in the mindset of understanding how they should respond to it i mean it's the, it's the standard thing isn't it if something's hard to do just do it more often if you've got if you've got an incident if you have lots of incidents you are going to execute that playbook more often you will going to remember how to execute that playbook and then it's not going to be a surprise when you have an incident because you're doing it all the time i mean it's you know it's the same for everything is why netflix have chaos monkey that goes in and destroys servers in their uh, in their AWS uh, uh, estate because then the whole system has to be able to adopt to a server going down and then if it's hard to do, do it more often. I did not know that that was a thing that they had, but that sounds incredibly cool. Well, they chaos have a chaos monkey. monkey. <laughs> yeah, this is all yeah, DevOps like stuff. They have chaos monkey. They have I think they even have a chaos gorilla. So it sounds to me like you're saying the chaos monkey is basically like a failure. It's a it's a it's yeah, a simulated chaos, fa it's a simulated failure the chaos monkey is literally a piece of software that they run in aws and that kills uh some of their nodes in right. their estate it's all about scale out so you treat yeah. your servers like cattle rather than pets the servers yeah. then get killed by the chaos monkey and of course what you're testing in that situation is that your 
application your system adopt mm. adapts to the fact that that server's gone down then the chaos gorilla i think probably takes out a bigger service and there's i think there's like chaos king kong or something that <laughs> takes out maybe <laughs> takes out whole aws region and it's, i think that's 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 netflix's way of keeping up testing against their resilience plan inside their um infrastructure and of Love course it. i think cybersecurity people should be doing the same yeah, and yeah. All that. yeah. It's definitely it's not just cybersecurity people uh slack did a really strong uh write-up uh, a couple of weeks ago on how they handled an incident uh, and that was just um a devops deployment went wrong um it caused a spike it caused some load uh, tra and traffic issues and they released the exactly like what they did how they did it so it's uh, when slack goes down um, Slack themselves had to switch to Zoom, of all things, uh, to keep themselves going, to keep themselves communicating. And it's a really strong write-up. Like, we are well off topic here, but that write-up about how Slack responds to an incident was spot on. And, of course, they have to switch to Zoom because if, if Slack's down, which is their default, they've got to go somewhere that's separate, which is kind of brilliant because you've got to think about those things. Like, if you're used to communicating in the office, in a meeting room, but you're your chaos monkey has closed the office how do you handle like oh, we, we all get in a boardroom well not today you don't okay well then i ring well actually the phone lines are down oh uh, uh, what am i gonna do like thinking about those playbooks and it's not just like oh this is what we do because then we'll do get an alert and it's like randomizing it and being super creative and it's chaos kong chaos kong cool so we did, there was some debate um, before we before we started recording about how we would approach this next uh, this next segment. Um, there's been, obviously with the, the advent of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, globally, we have seen uh, lots of things uh, come under scrutiny, language that we use, um, perhaps some of that language that we've that we've taken for granted. Uh, and that our industry is not uh, immune to that. Uh, and one of the areas that um, that has been discussed in in great length across social media certainly is the idea of removing some terminology like uh, blacklist whitelist master and slave even um, even black hat as a way of thinking uh, as a way of thinking about a, um, a conference or a um, or an organization um, and I just wanted to ask you guys kind of what um, what our feelings are uh, about that and um, actually Kev what I'm what I'm really interested in getting from you is how this term they there is pro the proposal that this terminology changes so not just saying well it shouldn't be this but what do we you know what do we do instead because that is terminology that everyone's familiar with I, i'm yeah. gonna i think before we even get into some of the terminology i think we have to recognize that we're four white men talking about <laughs> a topic and i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest with you like when this when when it all like really peaked i think it was around about the blackout uh time on social media and the question like I've always felt that I was kind of colorblind. I've, I, but I didn't really understand what I didn't. Re I honestly, I didn't really understand it. And I thought, oh, I'm colorblind. I, what's, I don't understand why this has all become a big deal. I'm not mm -hmm. a racist, and I, I felt pretty ignorant. And, and, and I think it's difficult for us. Infosec's got the same problem. I guess it's a white male-dominated industry, and so I'm, I'm imagining lots of people probably feel like me on this, and. 
I think a lot challenged a lot by my colleagues, but also just by my own like feeling of didn't want to feel stupid. I went out and bought um, why I'm not talking to white people about race anymore. And that's a fantastic book. And it does sort of highlight and when you read it through and you listen to the experiences of black people, it, uh, this is uh, written by a black uh, woman in the UK, but it's I'm sure it's the same globally, like you, you realize how sort of endemic some of the structural racism that's just from history mm. through slave owners like we are a company based in bristol and right there in the heart of bristol was a statue of a man celebrating the fact that he took people from africa and took them to um the plantations and we had a statue about him like which when you look at it and think about it it just feels utterly ridiculous to celebrate that but the you know black people are having to put up with that sort of symbolism and those aspects every single day and like I think what I've seen you know I'm a big Formula One fan and I'm seeing Lewis Hamilton doing the same with Formula One and he's challenging this kind of like it's not just color blindness which we're sort mm. of trying to talk about here we're trying to talk about being anti-racist yeah and I think when you put it in that context and then you think well if it's a bad thing we call it a blacklist and if it's a good thing we call it a whitelist and the same with if you're a good hacker you're a white hat hacker if you're a bad hacker you're a black hat hacker like these these this language is just it's out of date now i think yeah and it's and, the, and i think the challenge is, is that it's in, is that it's embedded so 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 people are comfortable with it and they've been comfortable with it for a long time and so once we get to a place where we say uh where we might say well actually it doesn't it, it doesn't we're not wedded enough to it mm. and we recognize that it's that it's inappropriate and potentially harmful into the in the you know in the context of the world we live in today let's find an alternative yeah, there are absolutely. another group of people who are ready to say no it's always been called this and it should still well, carry on being called this but nobody's saying that by calling it blacklist you're a racist that's not nobody's saying no. that nobody who uses blacklist is like a racist of course not but what they're doing is it's that kind it's that um white privilege mm. is that we don't see it mm. but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist no. and that's the point i think yeah it's exactly that so I I hadn't even considered it. So like blacklist, whitelist, these weren't, they're not colloquialisms in cyber. These are terms that were taught to me from when I first started to learn. So for me, it was just a language. Mm. I didn't even, I didn't even make the association until somebody, uh, until we saw like Twitter and it was actually NCSC back in like March or April or May, like before some of this kicked off, NCSC had already come out and said that we're starting to change the way we look at it. And it wasn't until somebody mentioned it, I thought, like, actually, I hadn't seen that perspective. But, like, as soon as you say it, you, c you can't not see I think, it. And I think the, the thing for me is that changing language like this, which means nothing to me. I'm like, I'm not, like, oh, my God, I'm going to die in a hell about the fact that we're calling it black or white. Like, and it's just the same. Like, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. And, like, the, some of the stuff that, like, came out like from, from Leicestershire, where we, there was um, a lot of Indian population, some of the stuff that was said on the playground in my dominant white school was just ridiculous in the 80s and the fact that the teachers sort of let it go was you know seemed okay at the time 
you fast forward to the early 2000s and you know max and i were talking about this earlier earlier this week chris moyles like that bastion of uh, like like <laughs> plurality <laughs> uh, but he was you know the the number one dj on radio one and he used the phrase uh, gay to describe something as rubbish that that's so gay which at the time was deemed acceptable by the bbc board of trustees like fast forward 14 years like that is just so ridiculous like you know coming out of pride month and how important it is for us to respect that diversity within our own workforce and within the wider community just just completely unacceptable and i this it should be i think it should well i i think it should well, still be this it should be the case with all of these words as well like you said the, the uh, uh, what's in a word it's it's just a word and and that's the thing is like the the new terminology that people are suggesting actually makes more sense and is bit easier to understand what are they suggesting what are they what's the, yeah what's the new so and this this is this is the one thing that annoys me about this this coming out is that uh, everybody's coming out so ncsc twitter um uh, they've come out at cisco but they've all come out with a slightly different oh, phrase of course they have <sighs> they're going to try and trace so, the malware it's the malware names <laughs> all over again so we have um, like the concept of allow list and deny list, uh, which they fundamentally make more sense uh, and they're easier to understand. Uh, but there's slight variance. So there's allow list and deny list, or there's allow list and block, block list. list. Yeah. Like I get that they're the same thing, but what I'd really love to see is somebody coming out and going like this. Is, like, put it in the textbook. Like this is what we teach. This is the way that we standardise yeah. it, and then everybody understands you it. You know what's odd? There isn't it? We've we've started off talking about a new thing being brought to light. Um, uh, you know, in terms of the the world that we're now living in, um, and people's conscience, and we've just ended up returning to a same old problem in information security, <laughs> which is that everyone wants to own the naming convention. Like it's the same with Gartner having to decide what a category of a product is called, as it is with a. Uh, antivirus vendor wanting to own the malware name as it is with a threat intelligence company wanting to name the apt group so now we just end up with exactly the same problem where we're going to create a set of definitions that all are kind of the same but also sort of different great but but i think i think that in a way the the way the names are make more sense right because black and white list you need to explain you know when i was teaching i was explain mm. well blacklist is block list and whitelist is accept list or yeah. allow list and so in a way it doesn't matter because they're actually descriptive now and the same with white hat and black hat uh, you you kind of teach it that oh apparently it came from the spaghetti westerns uh, in the in the kind of 40s and 50s which probably did originate from a, a, a racist uh, place as well and but describing unethical unethical hackers makes so much more sense and no one has to then go yeah. and teach you oh this a black hat means unethical so it seems like it's both logic and um it's something that i yeah again people getting annoyed at it uh, other people who it doesn't really affect uh, negatively so there's, there's no reason why we don't don't full heartedly go, go that way the I, only problem i have with that is that the word unethical is quite hard to say <laughs> unethical. Un right. un unethical. Like, what's the name? Like, we don't go to Black Hat because it's called Black Hat. We go to Black Hat for what it represents and the people it brings together and the things they talk about. Although 
arguably we go to Black Hat to go to DEFCON. You go to Black Hat to go to DEFCON. <laughs> you go to Black Hat to go to Vegas. You yeah. go to Black Hat to go gambling and drinking <laughs> and go to the free parties. And you'll never, you'll never convince me otherwise. And that's why it doesn't. That's why he doesn't care what it's called. <laughs> yep. It's just shorthand for getting drunk in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> All right, also this week, in an operation led by the UK's National Crime Agency, investigators say they have seized four, £54 million pounds in cash, two tonnes of cocaine, 77 firearms, including assault rifles, submachine guns and grenades, and prevented contract killings. Now, I know what you're thinking. Chris, what has this got to do with cyber? So what, the National Crime Agency doing their job? Well, it turns out that the people involved in this... Um, organized criminal network were using uh, an encrypted phone system and basically uh, i what well, i think and i'm i'm imagining that max knows more about this than i do um, but i think <laughs> they were probably using some sort of specially built mobile phones or some like what is it about this system a um, and b how did the nca go about actually infiltrating it yeah, I mean, this this is an amazing case. So uh, EncroChat was what they were using. And EncroChat uh, used to be an app, but then they started um, sending out their own, what they call carbon units, which was a whole handset with a uh, completely locked down from GPS, camera, microphone, which was designed for uh, privacy. Now, usually you, these things would be taken up by kind of uh, privacy advocates and human rights as well. But it appears that according to all, all the news, every single person using EncroChat chat was a criminal they said that they haven't found any instance of, of these people that aren't criminals using it which which is just bizarre uh, for a start but um and the stuff they found like 746 people arrested they found a torture chamber in in uh, the Maybe netherlands yeah in they, holland yeah in in holland they found um let me a room just... with a, a, a dental chair in the yeah. middle of this this padded they, room it's they terrifying had, sounds like something from a saw movie <laughs> Yeah, it's just incredible. So what they did, um, EncroChat uses off-the-record messaging, which is pretty well-known uh, encryption standard, uh, open source. So they did not hack the uh, crypt, the um, encryption, actually. What they did, they it, EncroChat was running through servers. Sorry, go on. Paul. No, you were just so overexcited. We need to yeah. take a step back, Max. You're just like, oh, my God, there's so much information. Yeah. Who's the day? Who did the hacking? So um, a combination of uh, Europol, NCA. Uh, so EncroChat had servers in France. They What they managed to do uh, wasn't crack the encryption tool. They actually put malware uh, through the servers on France onto the devices. Ah, and so they got, went to the endpoint where the traffic was unencrypted. Exactly. So end-to-end uh, -end encryption, as uh, you and others may know, is from your device to the other device. And the servers in France won't have any of that da data either. But if you have malware on your device, you can literally read the messages that are being typed. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. So they had something like 50% of all the devices on EncroChat had the malware on it. Wow. Uh, and so they could just literally read uh, all these messages. And, and uh, now I know why they're saying that no, no good users were on EncroChat. That is a Human Rights Act um, cover because they know that they can put the malware on all those devices because they're all bad actors mm. and therefore they've got the warrant to do that. If there was like less than 100% of bad actors, then you'd be breaching the human rights of somebody who shouldn't have that. 60,000 users. 
Yeah, which which to be honest, I'd be, I'd be really surprised if they were all criminals. Like that's mm. just not not likely, is it? There's going to be some some kind of collateral damage in there of of people who are just citizens. I I would suspect, but they're saying oh, it's fine. It's, it's I mean, all these, criminals. You you say that, but these devices aren't like they're not sold on high street. Mm. They're they're not easy and they're not, things and to they're get not hold cheap. of. They're not cheap, uh, and there are like if you're a privacy advocate, there are and, easier uh, ways of doing these it. These tales. So, yeah. I've heard that Tails thing's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just don't watch any videos on it. And uh, I mean, it would seem that EncroChat, when they suspected uh, infiltration by law enforcement, they did send a message to every uh, user saying, we think we've been infiltrated by law enforcement. Dispose of a device immediately. Uh, so yeah. pro- <laughs> probably a bit, they weren't really uh, cleaning them clean. But I, what this, I quite like I about this, this... The behind the scenes on this must have been fascinating. When you're in the EncroChat... would have loved to be on that op. Well, like, aid from the law enforcement side, but also to look at the defending side to see like they like something weirds going on on these devices. We've got traffic <laughs> going out of the network to this planet, and because I think it, yeah. early on, I think they the law enforcement were picking off people like people that were getting arrested because of course there's a whole ethical uh, debate that's in law enforcement. I don't know Max, you've been there, you probably get this more than I do, but the idea like keep the network up. As long as the network's up and we're in, we'll take, we'll find the people, we'll take them down. But at some point, they'll find they'll be like, hang on, like my mates just got arrested, and the only way he could have known they could have known about him is because I just messaged him. So well, then- I think that's why they made these arrests. So they they basically made forty six simultaneous arrests across Europe. Um, yeah. So that for that for that reason is it, it's kind it's the um it's the same as the Enigma example, right? We we, we yeah. crack the Enigma code, but we have to stay quiet about and and not act, even though we know that we've cracked the Enigma exactly. code. Well, that, um, that's yeah. that's the fascinating part of the encryption, isn't it? Is if you if you uh, make the uh, suspects aware that you've cracked it, then you lose your advantage, and so you either have to act straight away or you you keep it running. But then I think there's been places in um, Australia and Canada where they've infiltrated um, paedophile gangs and they've kept the servers running to catch more. But that's really dodgy ethically because then you're essentially serving up child abuse images to more yeah. people. Uh, so yeah, I think this was uh, a fascinating thing. But in terms of cri- cryptography, this is. A massive no-no. Never be part of a network <laughs> with just criminals. Like the, um, I think Al Qaeda tried this. They 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 developed their own encryption standards, which places like GCHQ are like, great, that's amazing because <laughs> they're always going to have bugs in them. If it's not open to the public to scrutinise and it's open source, then there's it's always going to be easier to attack. The the thing about uh, WhatsApp and these other devices. It's so many people are using them. Firstly, you can hide in the noise, and then secondly, everyone's checking them to make sure they are secure. So, using your your own uh, criminals network is the probably stupidest thing. Yeah, I mean, these are, it feels to me like anybody do, you know doing this is extremely is paranoid in the extreme. Um, you know, it says that the um, it says the base unit itself was a standard Android uh, was a standard Android handset, but then they installed their own uh, messaging programs on it, and and that yeah. basically connected that connected them to EncroChat servers. Well, that was where the problem arose. As soon as the as soon as the servers were accessible yeah. or could be accessed in some way, the rest was like the rest was obvious. But it, they um, EncroChat would physically remove 
GPS camera microphone from that device. Um, and then uh, the phone also had a feature that enabled them to rapidly wipe the device just by entering a pin. So basically, if they were going to get arrested, they could just put a pin in it, it would wipe itself. I think had it a had a standard Android actually, OS actually, next to it. Like, it's all very, it's very cool. There was, but, there was actually a flaw where that feature didn't work. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's how they got detected, Kev. I think the authorities, part of the malware blocked the delete thing. Yeah. And that that's right. not yeah. working was the first, first clue sign. that they that, that yeah. something was weird was going on. But they but Chris, they had two operating systems next door to each other. So mm. like in one side of the phone, you would one part of the phone, you it would be normal operation. And then the other part, it would be uh, your bad guy stuff. Well, yeah, is- it's pretty, and the numbers here are pretty mind-blowing. Um, they're saying that it represents one of the largest law enforcement infiltrations of a communications network ever. ever. Um, and they're saying that they investigated more than 100 million encrypted messages sent between users in, in real time. So they were reading them as they were sending them to each other. If I, if say for example, I am a low-level, um, you know, criminal, and I am using something like WhatsApp, you know, to to communicate with my other low-level criminals and some higher-level criminals, am I right in thinking that that represents, you know, fairly good encryption for protection of those conversations? So I just wonder yeah. what what makes you want to invest a thousand pounds a year in the EncroChat handset when you could just be using WhatsApp a bit more cleverly. I think I know from talking to criminals that they really don't trust WhatsApp because there have been continual things about WhatsApp being um, found to be insecure at different times, which as we know, every bit of software is. Um, We know that it has been attacked because it's used so much. So, So typically people are really... I think the criminals are really nervous about using these well-known ones, but ironically, uh, they are secure because of they're so well-known. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, WhatsApp will be all over fixing the, any any vulnerabilities in in the encryption. Um, and so, that is the be- if you're a, if you're a criminal, that is the better way to go. Though I'm not saying you should stay stay, signal, stay, stay legal, someone. Paul. <laughs> isn't signal isn't signal the one that everybody's using Sig- these yeah. days? and telegram Sig- signal signal is probably, signal probably a better option and that, that's used by um human rights activists and things like that but again it's about do you want to even if you're a human rights activist do you want to hide in the noise and if more people are using uh whatsapp uh, use that is this a bit like google plus and Facebook, though, because like back in the day, I obviously a massive Google fan, quite liked Google Plus, but literally nobody else did. Whereas, of course, all my <laughs> friends, with you, well, both of my friends, were over on Facebook. And um, <laughs> so, when, like, it's kind of maybe if all your criminal mates are on EncroChat, then that's where you have to go yeah. to, like, get the keys or whatever. The power of whatever the network goes up say. as more users, yeah, use or it. the network effect. That's yeah, it. exactly. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at immersivelabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs UK. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. 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 goodbye.